Hey, business building warrior. Welcome to Silent Sales Machine Radio. My name is Jim, and I've got a bit of an unusual introduction and an unusual episode today. I actually had to re-record this introduction several days after the initial interview was recorded, simply because today's guest is Rabbi Daniel Lappin and his wife, Susan, to not only incredible leaders who are respected tremendously in our community among so many of the listeners of this show, many of you have heard of them before, I'll tell you who they are in a moment if you don't know, but they're also really dear close friends who I've known for quite some time. They've served so many people in our community with their incredible content. He is an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. But he's able to dive into that book and pull out truths that have been buried for thousands of years right under our noses, adopted and accepted and applied openly in Jewish cultures, specifically Israel and Jews around the world are kind of grown up thinking with certain ideas and concepts ingrained into them. But as a Christian diving into the biblical business principles, I have had no greater teacher in my life, which is why I often refer to Rabbi Daniel Lappin as my favorite living author. Yes, it's that significant. I've got books all around me. Here's the one we're going to talk about today. Here's The Holistic You. This is his latest book by Rabbi Daniel Lappin and Susan Lappin, his amazing wife. Um, You've heard me reference on many times, if you've listened to this podcast in the past, the book called Business Secrets from the Bible, my favorite book of his. I recommend it so much. It's on my top three to five must-read business books if you want to truly understand how the world works, what the opportunities are, and look at it through the lens of almost an unfair advantage of how the world actually works when it comes to business. It's not common sense stuff. It's not just, hey, be honest, be nice, treat your customers well. No, that's not it. It's very practical stuff you would never come up with on your own that's straight out of the Bible, which, by the way, the Bible talks about money and business and investing twice as much as it does love and prayer combined, if you didn't know that. It's been a timeless guide for many, many successful businesses over thousands of years. So here's why I had to re-record this introduction, if it hasn't become obvious yet. Israel was attacked, as I'm recording this, by violent Muslim terrorists who invaded the southern border, killing, at this point, information I have, about a thousand people taking kidnaps of young children and women. Just brutal invasion. It's on the world stage right now. Things may change by the time this episode's published. Uh, I'm recording it in real time and getting out to you as quickly as I can. But I thought it was important for you to point out that this interview happened a few days before that invasion. Actually, Rabbi Lappin and Susan are in Israel as I'm recording this. They were getting ready to leave the United States for that trip when we conducted our interview. One of the last things they did, and I'm greatly honored to say that the first interview that they did about this book, which is, you're going to be hearing a lot more about it, I think, um, as it kind of hits the news cycle, but was with us, was with this podcast. What an honor that they chose to come to this community. They've been our keynote speaker at a handful of our events in the past. I'll fill you in on what I mean by that. May of 2024, God willing, May 23rd through 25th of 2024, Rabbi Daniel Lappin and his wife Susan will be joining us in Orlando as our keynote presenter. Can't wait for that event, especially in light of current world events 
And one observation I want to make, it has to do with business. Like, why am I bringing world events into a business podcast? I don't do that very often. I don't bring you the headlines. You know how to get the news. You know what news sources you like and trust. We all saw this in the headlines. It's inarguable, the details of how brutal this was and how atrocious it is and Israel soon to respond. Maybe they have by the time you see this. But here's the thing, one of the things I learned from my good friend, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and it's this. Even when things are really weird out there in the world, even when it seems like things are kind of crumbling, you know, cultural challenges, wars, rumors of wars, those kinds of things going on, uh, even during COVID, this was true. And we talked about it on this show. You have to stay focused on the things you can control and pursue them with diligence. Do not let world events half a world away influence your commitment and determination to serving God, serving your family, growing your business, hitting it. Now, sure, stay informed, know what's going on, but don't obsess over it and certainly don't let it distract you from doing those things that you know must be done when they must be done. Stay focused, stay on task. And as much as Rabbi Daniel Lappin and his wife Susan hearts were broken, they know people that were killed. They know people who are currently kidnapped. They are good friends with people who are affected very deeply by this invasion. That if you do the math and you look at the numbers, this invasion was 10 times bigger than 9-11 as far as the percentage of the population that was impacted. It's a big deal in Israel. But I know my friend, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, enough, and I've texted with him and corresponded, they're safe. He's actually been interviewed on some major channels at this point. You may see his name around. That he would, if he were here with you right now, as he's about to be on this interview, say, stay focused on the things you can control. Continue to serve God. Continue to take care of yourself. Continue to serve your family. Continue to grow your business because this will pass. This will come, this will go, life will go on, there's going to be some repercussions perhaps, but you must stay focused on the things you can control. That's what being a business building warrior is all about. Yeah, sure, there's lots of distractions in the world perhaps at any given time, but to the greatest degree possible, stay focused, keep building, keep serving. And if you remember during COVID, for example, there were so many of us during that window of uncertainty when we were asking, is Amazon going to shut down? Are they even going to be around? I mean, that was a lot more questions about the state of the U.S. economy at that point than there is right now. Those of us who stayed in the game, we just did so well. It ignited entire new opportunities. More people than ever were staying home. More people than ever were shopping online. As world events kind of drift around in the territories of chaos, these opportunities are going to get nothing but bigger. So knowing how to sell online, growing your e-commerce business, keeping your, your customers served, keeping your team busy, staying focused and on task, that's vital. Now, one last reminder, this is me recording the introduction well after I actually interviewed Rabbi Daniel Lappin and his wife, Susan. And this is well before, of course, the attacks in Israel happened. Because had I had time to spend time with my friends, after the attacks, it would have been a very different conversation. I thought that was very important to point out to you that this interview was pre-Israel's basically equivalent of a 9-11 attack. And our good friends, please keep them in your prayer. Rabbi Daniel Lappin and Susan are actually in Israel as I'm recording this. They were in Israel attending their Shabbat services on a very significant holiday, as was most of Israel, when the attacks occurred. Just a brutal, savage attack and I'm praying that Israel 
stands strong again very soon in the face of these horrific attacks. So God bless you, Business Building Warrior. Thanks for being a part of this community. I wanted to set up a little bit different introduction today, but you're really going to like this content. We kind of drift around on some fun topics, and just to set up the the conversation I'm about to have just a little bit, I showed you the book already if you're watching. If you're listening, the book title is The Holistic You with Rabbi Daniel Lappin and Susan Lappin. This is a complete unedited conversation drifting around. So many of the great conversations I've had with these friends over the years, we just kind of jump topic to topic in pursuit of timeless biblical truth. And if I could say one thing that lays out possibly why it is that I always talk about the biblical truths, consider it from a very scientific, sterile vantage point for just a moment. If there was a longitudinal study of human behavior for thousands of years that demonstrated consistently and repeatedly and documented over and over and over that these ideas not only work, but the cultures that adopt them thrive, that businesses who adopt these strategies thrive on a very predictable, repeatable basis. Would that be information worth paying attention to? Regardless of your worldview, I think it would be. That's what this information is. So you'll hear us refer a couple times to the, the longitudinal study, studying a group of people over a long period of time. There's never in the history of the world been a longer longitudinal study than the concepts of how the Hebrew culture handles money, business, and finance, and their overwhelming success in doing so. And it can be attributed back to kinds of concepts that we're going to talk about today. Now, the book talks about faith, family, friendships, fitness, and finance as being the five Fs. We spend a lot of time on the finance side because this is a business show, but those other areas all integrate. And if you let any of them slip, your finances are going to pay a price as well. To the degree that any of those are improving and you're focusing and working on those areas, the other areas will benefit as well. It's pretty cool how they all tie together. That's the point of today's interview. Sorry for the long introduction today, and this is a fairly long interview. You may want to break it up into two parts. That's fine. It's a podcast. Hit pause. But I think you're going to find today's conversation very compelling and informative. Hopefully it challenges you, encourages you, spurs you forward. God bless you, business building warrior. There's work to do. Let this episode encourage and inspire you to take action. Let's go with the episode. So Rabbi Daniel Lappin and Susan, my friends, so good to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you very much indeed. Yeah. This is actually, uh, Susan, I think this is our first actual interview. Um, on this book. On this the book. book. Yeah. 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 Couldn't be more appropriate given our long friendship. Well, you've heard me say it on occasion, and I'll say it again now for the listener's sake, my favorite living author. And now I have to say authors. Thank because, you. Susan, you're quoted frequently in the book and contributed a great deal to this, specifically this new book. And I'm just going to hold it up right here for the for the listeners or viewers. For those who are listening, it's called The Holistic You. And I've got my copy here. I was showing you guys before we hit record already, having only had it a few days, notes, folded corner pages, notes for later, things I want to talk to you guys about. Fantastic book. And I'm so honored to get to spend this time with you guys diving in. Thank you. But I, I want to start here. Who's this book for? And you know, why did you write it? The two of you just kind of spend some time on that, and we'll dive into some specific applications that I've pulled out already for our audience. Uh, how do we decide who talks to? 
Well, you know, you know, however this goes, Susan, we're going to get some people writing in saying, why do I let you talk over me? And we've got other people writing in saying, why don't I let you talk more? So uh, go ahead. You know, we have a column we write every week for our members um, called Ask the Rabbi, and we answer questions. And there are themes that repeat. And that's really who this book was written because of the questions that come in. And then when we speak in when we speak in person and people come over and say, Can I speak to you? And we hear heartbreaking stories. And sometimes, you know, that's at one extreme heartbreaking stories. At the other, it's just confused. People are confused. We we see people who are who are good, hardworking, earnest people. And it's just and not working. Yeah, they don't understand why their lives aren't what they they're not something's not satisfying. Jim, we feel that people aren't aware of the extent to which the culture has damaged them, men and women, over the last 30 years or so. And so, um, you know, we're looking at uh, at somebody, you know, perhaps uh, between the ages of 20 and 50, uh, engaged in trying to build financial security and revenue, trying to perhaps build and expand and do right by a family, um, trying to maintain relationships socially with friends and with family. And, and we just, we see a lot of people struggling, not because of any intrinsic weakness in themselves, but because they have inadvertently absorbed really, really destructive messages from the culture over the last two or three decades. It's and and I think it's important to know we're all we're all impacted. As Susan and I are not exempt. Uh, when you hear something, when you allow something into your mind and it enters your heart and it becomes part of your soul, it does impact you. If that, what I've just said, were not true, the entire advertising industry, billions upon billions of dollars would not exist. Right. It's not because every time that somebody hears an ad for a, um, a, a Lexus car, shall we say, they run out and buy a Lexus car. Of course not. But subtly, the influence builds up. And if they keep at it, at some point or another, enough people who heard that message enough times get to need a car and they go out and buy that car, absolutely convinced that it's an act of free will. Right. It, it, and these, these, I'll call them toxic messages, this yes. poison thinking infiltrates us to the point we don't even realize it. And we hear it and we just accept it. As you know, so many words have been kind of slightly redefined over time and words that used to make a lot of sense now don't. And protecting yourself from that cultural drift, so to speak, takes a lot of work. And I think yeah. that kind of, that's what this book does. I think that you were kind of hitting on the heart of it. Can I read? There's a there's a, a paragraph on page 14 I want to read to you guys and see if this sums up this book. And, and again, I want to read the full title, The Holistic You, Integrating Your Family Finances, Faith, Friendship, and Fitness, the five Fs, as you call we it. We can have a test to see if we remember which one of us wrote the paragraph. Uh, yeah, let's <laughs> see if we can figure this out. Well, it's a we paragraph. Since we were- well, Everything is we. Our, our life's work has been to teach the timeless truths and core values from the tradition of biblical values and ancient Hebrew wisdom, right? Uh, making them accessible for anyone interested. We've we found that people can immediately apply many of these principles to the benefit of their life, regardless of their background or faith. The wisdom can be thought of as a general theory 
of the totality of all existence, a set of theorems or permanent principles that apply everywhere and in all times. Absolutely. That sums it up for me. I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to open with when I get the chance to talk to you guys, because it really is. And I say all the time, you know, I, I've got my copy of my Bible right here next to me. You know, for those watching, I always have it nearby when I'm presenting, and oftentimes I'll pop it open and make references to it on my podcast. The best book ever written. There's so many lessons that can apply to us in life and business, faith, family, friendships, fitness, finance. Right. And you guys just make it all so practical, regardless of your faith. So I just want to make sure that we have listeners today are saying, oh, well, this isn't for me today. I'm not Jewish. I'm not Christian. I'm not whatever. No, these are timeless principles. You call it the the world's longest longitudinal study at times. I love that that phrasing. Why don't you explain that next? Just so so we're real clear at the start of this, who this is for. And we don't eliminate anyone from the audience that should be hanging in there with us. Right. Well, um, Yes, it's very, very practical. And because of the destructive and confusing messages that have bombarded people for so long, um, there are many instances of confusion that impede effective progress. Let me just give you a, a silly little example, but implications of this example show up in our office at least once a week. Here's the the classic case. Obviously, it's an exaggeration, but the classic case is the girl wants to break up with a guy. Uh, She feels it's going nowhere, and the guy is besotted with her and absolutely infatuated with her, doesn't want to let go. And eventually he says... um, uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take my life. If you leave me, I've got nothing to live for. I'm gonna take my life. And a nice, good girl hears that, and she really begins to question whether she is now under a moral obligation to stick in that relationship, because otherwise she's gonna be responsible for her death. And uh, there are versions of that. There are versions of that in family relationships, versions of that in business, and versions of that in friendship. It's all over the place. But even a simple thing like that, once this book helps the reader clarify the fundamental moral imperatives so that she can, with a completely free mind and clear conscience, say to him, I'm really sorry to hear that, and I I understand you'll have to do what you feel you have to do, but that doesn't change my decision. To be able to say that with confidence, all the variations of that in business or elsewhere, uh, is just an example of how, yes, we we do go to the um, the text found between the opening words in the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and the closing words uh, before the eyes of all Israel. And and from there, we do extract the principles that have worked very well for 3,000 years. Now, when we speak of a longitudinal study, um, Susan, I want to mention the Harvard study because it, it crops up in the book where they actually did this for about 70 years now. They've actually been monitoring um, people who graduated from Harvard University, a, a cohort of, of several hundred people, and they've been following them through life. That's what a longitudinal study is because very often when we make decisions in life, it could be many years before the consequences can be seen. It might be many years before we know whether the decision was a good one or a bad one. 
And so a longitudinal study says, we're going to let you know the results of the last 100 years or 70 years or 2,000 years compressed between the covers of this book. So as you can tell, that this is not a fly-by-night idea, and uh, on the contrary, this is a, a set of theorems, as I said before. It's a set of theorems that actually reliably do work for all human beings of every race and color, of whether they're male or female, or whether they're tall or short or pretty or ordinary or whatever it is, it works for all of us. And that is the key of what a longitudinal study means. If this book and its principles popped out of our heads, and not to, I don't want to denigrate Susan Lappin's head, but uh, if it popped out of our heads, it just wouldn't be 1% of the value of something that pops out of the pages of, as I say, a reliable longitudinal study. In, in page 27, actually, because I made a note, that's where you guys referenced that Harvard study and, and one of the conclusions that you drew from this incredible study following a group of people. Now, in this particular study, you know, we're talking one, one full generation. When we talk about the longitudinal study of scripture, we're talking thousands of years of evidence yes. and repeating. And not only over years, but Jews have lived literally in every country around the world. Possibly Antarctica is an exception. That's right. You know, we, we tend to get exiled from countries. There are Jews yes. that have lived in, you know, in Morocco and in France and in South America and in Asia. And very often starting off with nothing. They come to a new country having really gone through some horrific experiences, very often lost family, lost all their finances, and having to pick themselves up and start over again. And they've we've still managed to survive. And the people who survive are the ones who were really, you know, we're we're looking at the principles that help them. Well one of my favorite segments of any of the books you guys have written is Thou Shall Prosper. When you meticulously, Rabbi Lappin, pick apart all the possible explanations for why it is that the Jewish people seem to just be able to overcome these impossible odds over and over and over, and why they represent less than one or 2% of any given population, but typically take up 30 to 40% of the list of the most successful entertainers or politicians or influencers. How are they doing this? Yes. There's a handful of nonsensical explanations that some people like to fall back on. And there's only one logical conclusion you're left with if you read that book, Thou Shall Prosper. They're using a different set of rules than the rest of us. They've That's got an inside track to some information. It's not in their DNA. It's in the knowledge that they've taken into their head, moved to their heart. And even those, uh, it, it's always been fascinating to me, even those Jews, and there's a lot of them that would consider themselves atheists. Yes. But they still benefit from the tradition of these proven longitudinal study concepts that have proven time and time and time again, and they've applied them to lead very successful lives. And, and to get back to that Harvard study, one of the conclusions that you guys hit on on page 27 that I, I just jumped off the page at me was uh, the people who are most satisfied in their relationships as they aged uh, were the people who were the happiest. Right, And you say, well, yeah, that just makes common sense, Jim. Well, no, we, we've got a culture right now that's telling our young men Ah, uh, wait to get married, you know, date around, enjoy the benefits of going hard after your career, maybe be healthy, but you don't need family. That can wait. What are they doing? Well, it's even worse. They're, they're giving that message not only to young men, 
but even to young women. And it's worse because whether you like it or not, or whether you think it's fair or not, or whether you think it's sexist or not, when it comes to mating, men age better than women. Yeah. And certainly when it comes to having the next generation, being able to have children, I, that is one of the most tragic things we, we have faced more than once is having a 38-year-old woman who's highly successful in her career sit down and say, I always assumed I would have children. Right. And no, when you're 38, you might not. There's a clock ticking, unfortunately, for the females. Or unfortunately, that's that's the way God made us, right? That's it. No, this is part of this is the destructive message that has been propagandized with an agenda beamed into the hearts and minds of people for three decades now. And um uh, we see this book in many ways as a uh, an antidote. This is this is truly the way out of a prison cell in which many of us find ourselves today. Yeah, pushing back. And, and the benefit, like I've been able to advise, you guys had a, a large family, all daughters homeschooled them, and we have that in common. What was it, seven daughters, correct? We have six girls and one boy, one son. Six girls and a boy, that's right. And we've had five kids. I've got four boys, and my youngest is our daughter. We homeschooled them as well. But the advice I've given them is, yeah, yeah you don't want to wait till you're in your 30s to get married. It, it, like right now, I'm gonna. Be, I'm a grandpa. I haven't met my grandson yet. He hasn't been born. He's gonna be born for us. Christmas Day is the due date right now. Very exciting. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm young enough that I'm gonna get to enjoy, and I've stayed healthy enough. I'm gonna get to enjoy. Like if you wait until you're in your 30s and 40s to have kids, and now you're having 18 year olds as a 70 year old, and you're not gonna meet your grandkids. Odds are, like that's not the life path that I chose. And not that I don't want to dwell on this one particular topic too long, because this is a business podcast typically, Yes. but all these things do integrate together. Some of the saddest stories I hear in business are the people who choose to leave out certain segments of, and I've heard, I mean, I have some tragic, some stories that ended with you know, people taking their own lives ultimately because of the mental torment of having just completely ignored one of the five vital segments. That really is the essence of the book. We're saying there are five parts of your life and you need to work on them together. You can't work on them sequentially. You can't say, well, right now I'm going to work on my education and that's all I'm going to focus on. And then I'm going to work on, you know, getting that job and then I'll work on marriage and, th and then I'll work on my relationship with God and then I'll work on my body. It doesn't work. You have to work on all of them at the same time. Even though obviously one steps forward and takes a little more attention at each time, but in each of those things, you have to keep the other ones in mind. What am I doing it to the other ones? Am I still keeping them hot, simmering on the stove while I am doing something, doing one? And those five areas, again, you know, we're familiar with them, but family, finance, faith, friendship, fitness, in no particular order necessarily because- <laughs> Every time we give the title, we tend, we have to look at the book to give it in the order it's written on the cover because we just throw them out. And that is the whole right. point, that they're not in any particular order. They need to go together. Yeah, uh, Jim, I'll tell you, I, we may have consulted, you know, we consult with you a lot, as you know, and, and you are terribly, terribly generous with your time and your advice. Uh, and we, I think we may have run this one by you, but my original concept uh, for, for the cover of the book and the concept that I even, I had in front of me on a drawing is I had a circle and on the circumference of the circle, I had five dots, each one 72 degrees apart from the other, 
because 5 times 72 is 360 degrees. That's the whole circle. And next to one, I wrote finance. And next to another, I wrote faith and family and fitness and friendships. And then I did lines that join them all up. And would you believe when you do that, what you end up with is a five-pointed star or a pentagram. A pentagram. And it turns out that to a lot of people, a pentagram uh, is is a negative message. And so uh, we decided not to put that on the book cover, but that actually is the, I mean, yeah. They did a beautiful job, Wiley. They did, Wiley did a great job. listening, you can't see, but I'm holding up the cover. Yeah, this, I think this is much, it's a lot, it's not as scary as a pentagram. <laughs> I think you would have attracted some attention you didn't want had you chosen that shape. But the but the concept stands. There's these these five areas that uh, all deserve our attention. And, and I love the word integration that shows up a lot in the book. Integrate, integrate. I'm often asked, you know, people say, "How, Jim? How do you balance all of it?" And that word has never really struck me. I'd like to hear from you guys. Th- that word balance has never really hit me right. Like, how do you keep everything in the right priority order? Like, I don't know that I do that. I've integrated it all. Here's an answer I get. And I think this is pulling some wisdom from some of the concepts in the book that I had before the book was written. And I've even solidified my answer having gone through this the past couple of days is I'm not looking to necessarily balance. I'm looking to integrate it all in. For example, I'm sitting in my office right now. Am I being a good husband, a good father, a good business owner, a good child of God right now? I would say yeah, all these things. My kids could hear the content later. They could walk in my office and interrupt. They know if the door's shut, it's probably something important. But the vast majority of the time, my door's open. So I'm sitting here working, kids nearby, wife can come in at any point, get on my schedule, things can be bumped around. I'm doing all of them together. And the family understands the importance of the work that I do. And they understand that takes precedent during certain hours of the day. But we're here, we're together. That's part of why I love entrepreneurship, personally, and and e-commerce specifically, because I can put my business in my pocket and go anywhere and have these five areas with me at any given time, right? Is that balance? No, I, that feels more like integration to me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely integration. And look, if you're, um, uh, if, if you're, uh, jogging or working out and, uh, uh, and at the same time you're listening to an audio program through your earbuds, um, either something faith-centric or maybe business education. Well, there you're linking finance and uh, and fitness at the same time, or maybe fitness and faith. Um, if you have a conversation around the dinner table with your children, uh, explaining something that's going on in the business, well, there's family and finance at one and the same. So um, the, the reality is that when you retain the concept of integration, as you just done, Jim, you uh, you find that uh, the uh, the boundaries become artificial and eventually fall away, and and th- these just become part of the overall package of living. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, talking about tying in uh, fitness and and faith and finance, I, I've only done one marathon. Now I run about twenty twenty five miles a week, which is a lot for some people. For me, that's just been my normal for about a decade now. But I've only done one full marathon, twenty six miles. And I took with me some of my favorite songs and a new episode of your podcast, which happened to be the perfect episode for that occasion. It was talking about the power of gratitude and uh, just such a great theme. And and maybe we can even hit on that a little bit because we've integrated that into our business community. 
it, it's almost a, a I call it almost an unfair advantage. And I love that the word fair doesn't even exist in Hebrew, but everyone knows what we mean when we say it. You almost have an unfair advantage if you just start your day with gratitude and you approach everything with gratitude. It gives you that um, air of optimism that you can't generate otherwise. No. And also, when you talk about the five, you know, when you when you keep all five in mind, when you're hitting a rough spot in one of the areas, maybe, you know, maybe you had a bad fight with your spouse or, you know, or you had a business disappointment where you thought something was going to come through and at the last minute it didn't. Well, when it, if that's the whole part, if that's all that you have in your life, that is crushing. But if you're able to First, be aware, wow, you know what? I'm breathing and I'm standing and I'm walking around and I know that God is with me in this and I have friends. I know that I can turn to friends who will give me good advice or who will just give me a hug. And I've got, you know, whatever it is, the other parts, then difficulty in one area becomes so much more manageable. Absolutely. You know, one of the th that reminds me, Susan, as you're saying that one of the themes in the book was, and it, it struck me stronger than it ever has, as much as of your content as I've consumed, the, the importance of friendships to that. If, if, if that's the last chip that falls, it's basically a death sentence for someone. If you've lost all the others and all you've got is friends and then you lose that, that's the equivalent of a death sentence. We, we tell the story in the book of Job that, you know, God takes everything, everything. from Job. Except. But not, but they're these three friends. His Look friends. at them. Right. Even if what they say isn't necessarily that helpful. Right. And it's because, you know what? Still there. We don't have control. God, you know, sometimes we just lose our health no matter how well we eat and how much we exercise. We're, we don't have a guarantee that we're going to be healthy. Right. And sometimes, God forbid, people have tragedies and you lose your family. Yeah. You can are, are you always the last remaining member of your family? Yeah. But you'll and you can lose, still have those friends. You can lose your money and you can always make more friends. In other words, it's not that you were handed these friends at birth. Mm -hmm. You have to always be looking for an opportunity to make friends. And it's you can make new friends. Lens from an e Sorry to interrupt you there, but I just want to keep our business listeners yeah. connected here. This, we talk about this all the time, the power of relationships, the importance of friendships. E-commerce is an isolating business model. Mm. For so many people, they sit, I call it, you know, they sit behind their glowing keyboard and think if they hit the right buttons, they're going to make some money. When the big secret is the people who are actually making money, the people who are building relationships, the old fashioned way, going to events, hopping on Zoom calls like this one, having conversations, being vulnerable, sharing their wins and their losses with others. Those are the people that make it. I was actually interviewed on a Denver AM podcast not too long ago, a radio show. And he said, if you had to identify one thing, and I don't like that either, Rabbi Lapp, and I've heard you say, people always like say, what's the one thing? And I'm like, well, there's many things. But if I had to identify a common denominator between the people who have made it and lasted a long time in e-commerce and the people who have kind of faded and fizzled and got burnt out and, and frustrated, that line in the sand to me seems to be, having taught 10,000 students on our coaching program, that line seems to be the people who pursue relationships with intentionality make it. Almost all of them. And the people who choose not to don't. Almost all of them. Like That is the common denominator. It's not intelligence or skill set or education or demographics or age, sex, race. I mean, none of that has anything to do with it. It's, are you pursuing relationships intentionally? And cynics will say, well, you're just trying to get them to do business with you, or you're just trying to make money, and they're missing the point. They're yes, if they if they do it, that's why they're doing it, but they're missing the point that you form real relationships with people through business. 
Yeah. You build something significant together. You build some of the most incredible friendships I've ever had have come as a result of, uh, I love the example that you've used at one point, Rabbi Daniel Up in this illustration helps make the point very well. We we all kind of grew up in the 90s watching this show Friends, and we started to he, he talk about those toxic messages. Entertaining, it was funny, sure, we had a good time watching it, but one of the toxic messages that show taught us was the people that you really like hanging out with are the people that you get to spend time with after work is over, after business. Business is just this thing you got to do to pay the bills, but friends on the weekend, that's where it's at. No, the greatest friends I have the greatest, strongest relationships I have, you know, people like you guys, people like the leaders and the coaches on our team, we've built exactly. things together. That's so important. Uh, you know, it may make sense not to do business with family and maybe not to do business with friends, but it makes a lot of sense to turn business associates into family, into friends. Yeah, and it just naturally happens. It naturally happens. Well, again, this is a business podcast, so I'm going to ask yeah. you guys to tilt a little heavier in that direction with some of the topics I'm going to spend some time on. Because again, we could spend time, faith, family, finance, friendship, fitness, but let's let's tilt to that finance side and, because I kind of have a theory, and I'm not sure that you guys agree with me, and that's okay if we don't, but I just, it's something I'm working on that I think we live in a time, and I've heard you say things along these lines, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, but we live in a time right now, you know, inflation's inflation's scary. You know, I, I like to hold up my $10 trillion bill from Zimbabwe from time to time for people. For those who are watching, you can see it. But those listening, I've got, it's a real currency from Zimbabwe, $10 trillion. That's how out of control inflation can get. And uh, that won't buy you a cheeseburger today. You can get these for like $2 on eBay. Uh, but people were walking around with that currency. Inflation is a little scary. Our government is printing a ton of money. And you go into that in the book. And you've also said on your podcast uh, it, you've explained inflation and what it is in the book and on your podcast. The only way to push back against it, I think you know where I'm going. What's the only way? Do you remember what you said? I do. Yes, you push back. You have to make more money. You have to make more money, right? So, how do you do that? I'm a busy guy. I'm, you know, I'm already working as hard as I can. What do I do? Well, I see the time we live in this tool that was given to us, I believe, by God, and you've echoed that sentiment at times in the past as well. With this tool of connection and communication, the internet, if you aren't using it in some creative ways to increase the income for you and your family, you're really missing one of the greatest opportunities ever handed to us in the history of e-commerce or history of commerce. Because it's just right there. It's so easy to test new ideas. You can wade in nice and slow. And, and that's what we do around here. So I just wanted to encourage uh, the listeners today that I had a point in bringing you guys on here. One of them is you can start to tech, if you're not making some extra money using the internet creatively, and maybe that's a weak, the finance area is weak. It's one of the biggest stressors of marriages at times. And we can help you work on that. That's what we do here. And, and I'm excited to have you guys. You're going to come to our event in May of 2024. Yes. Right? Are you coming as well, Susan, I hope? At the, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Uh, May of 2024, theprovenconference.com is the website. And just, I want to remind folks, and then you guys can go wherever you'd like for a couple minutes. I'm talking a lot here, but we're talking to Rabbi Daniel Lappin and his wife, Susan Lappin, about The Holistic You. It's the book I'm holding up for those watching on YouTube. If you're listening, it's The Holistic You. Don't spell it with a W like I did for some reason when I first spelled the word. I don't know what I was thinking. I was never a good speller. It's holistic with an H, H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C, The Holistic You. Available on Amazon. I got my hardback copy here, and it just came out, what, a couple of weeks ago, and it's doing really well. 
and uh, excited to interview you guys about it. So, so what else do you want to talk about on the book? I've got some stories from our community where we've applied these specific lessons to our community. Happy to dive into those, but what else is on your mind? Talk some folks into grabbing a copy of this book from whatever angle you'd like to, because I right. Well, one of the things I think we we like uh, emphasizing is that one basically chooses to live by a spirit of abundance or a spirit of shortage. Now, the trouble is that a spirit of shortage is seductive because it feels as if you're being oh so very adult and responsible. And it appeals in that way. And the trouble is that it handicaps us dreadfully um, in, in exactly the same way that uh, it it handicaps athletes and even handic handicaps in the field of medicine where I mean, any experienced doctor, people on hospital staff will tell us story after story of how as long as a person retains faith and optimism in his recovery, his chances of recovery are hundreds of percent better than what, once he gives up, it's terrible. And so a lot of the kind of outlook you have and the, the kind of spirit or the kind of spiritual schematic you build up in your soul impacts how well you're going to do. Even simply the ability to see other situations as opportunities. Not everybody has that. And if one is suffused by a spirit of shortage, you don't see opportunities. If you're suffused by a spirit of abundance, almost everywhere you look is another opportunity. And so one of the things that the holistic you focuses on is helping you build up that spirit of abundance in other areas, as Susan was saying earlier. If you are having trouble financially and you're struggling, and it would be very understandable because in the United States of America, last month alone was 3.5% inflation. Only in one month. That means three and a half cents out of every dollar just vanished. vanished. And it's so easy to, to become filled with, a, with, with really a bit of a sense of dismay and gloom. And we show how to use your area of fitness or maybe your area of family or even your area of faith to rebuild that spirit of abundance and that spiritual schematic of expansiveness, and then move that over to the financial area. It's an incredibly powerful tool, incredibly powerful. We'll get back to the show in just a moment, but I have to tell you about a coaching program that's been around for about 19 years. It's coached almost 10,000 e-commerce business building warriors. It's got a team of about 60 coaches who are not only great teachers with tremendous hearts who love their students, but they're all succeeding at the business strategies that you hear taught on this show. If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm talking about our coaching program. There's a link at silentgym.com. Get over there, get on our schedule, have a free consultation, zero pressure. We're going to help you build your business on that call, sign up at silentgym.com, free consultation. See if our coaching program is a good fit for you, where you get to not only work one-on-one -on -one with one of our tremendous coaches, not only do you get that, you also get a 
reactive coach that you can contact at any point in time. That's a separate coach. You get all the training and content that we provide around here at no cost now and into the future. Tremendous list of benefits. I'm not going to go into all of them right now. Silentgym.com. Click on the coaching link. Sign up for a consultation. Hey, let's get back to the program. And it's so easy to to become filled with a with, with really a bit of a sense of dismay and gloom. And we show how to use your area of fitness or maybe your area of family or even your area of faith to rebuild that spirit of abundance and that spiritual schematic of expansiveness and then move that over to the financial area. It's an incredibly powerful tool, incredibly powerful. Absolutely. And I love how you guys are unapologetic about telling people, hey, you can and should earn more. And that is a healthy thing. The word profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, has become a bad, you know, talk about some of these toxic concepts. That's become a bad word. So like, when did that happen? The first thing we ask anyone who has slightly more than us is, how are you going to give back? Like, that's a terrible question, implying they stole something or took something. No, they've, they've simply served well. And we pound these messages into our community. This won't be anything new to those. And um, there's another horrible one, Jim. Susan, I don't know if we've spoken about this one, but somehow or another, you know, when you become attuned to something, you see it everywhere. You know, it's, uh, well, this one I've seen a lot of lately. He's not doing it for the money. Or somebody, I'm not in this for the money. Usually well, politicians. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Yeah, right. That That's uh, very persuasive. But um, dive, dive into that for us for a moment, because a lot of people will say, oh, that's a noble thing. He's not doing it for the money. He's doing it for you know, fill in the blank, whatever other. Yeah. Because Look, on the, on the most simple level, if I'm hiring somebody to come in and do some construction work and maybe renovate my bathroom, do I want somebody who comes to my house, looks at it and says, listen, you know, you pick who you want to do it. I'll give you my best quote, but I just want you to know I'm not in this for the money. Or somebody else who comes along and says, look, um, this is what I do. I've built my business on integrity. I The only reason I make a lot of money is because I deliver more value to my customers. So, you know, make your decision. Who would you pick? Why would you pick somebody? It's always nicer to interact with people when you understand motivations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and money is... It, Let me put this back. People say, I'm not doing it for the money. Okay, well, how about we give you no money and let's see if you still want to do it. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I'm not. A lot of organizations try to do My things kids got to eat. I got bills to pay. Yeah. Organizations try sometimes to do things with volunteers. And of course, then you just have, you know, whatever they, all of a sudden something comes up, they don't show up this day. They don't show up that day. And we know many, many nonprofits that have begun to understand we actually do have to pay people. We want people who say, Yes, I want this paycheck, and that means I'm going to show up when I'm supposed to be there. Yeah. It, well, and I love one of the ways you know that you're delivering value for sure. I mean, when you do volunteer work, you can be pretty sure you're doing some good. You may not know if you are or not, but you know for sure you're doing good when people voluntarily pay you for what it is that you're delivering. Right. Now you can be, have that confidence, that dignity of work is confirmed. And that's one of the things we help people do is to feel more comfortable. Not saying I'm not in it for the money, but say, yes, I am in a fair, open market, transparent interaction. It's going to benefit you and it's going to benefit me. Nothing to hide, nothing, no subterfuge, no deceit. Here is the deal. 
Yeah, and, and those are some of the messages that really drove home when I first encountered your content, Rabbi Lappin. It was business secrets from the Bible I picked up, and I reference that all that book all the time around here, and really has been a foundational book for the the business model that we've built here, which is it's kind of unique. I mean, business is business is business. It's about making your customers happy and not needing donations to do it because you're getting some profit from the happy customers. Yes. You know, I, I can, it's a self-sustaining ministry is what I call my business. I don't need any donations to maintain my ministry. My customers are paying me and they love what we provide them, right? But I learned those concepts from business secrets from the Bible where I'm unashamed of the money that flows into our business. I see it as more resources that can be used to serve more happy customers in the future. Right. And I get to take care of my family as well along the way. But, but for me, it's never been about the stuff that I acquire. It's that sense of accomplishment and the dignity. Well, of that's, that's exactly what, what right. Built. People say money doesn't buy you happiness. And, uh, like all other aspects of life, it's too complicated for a single one sentence slogan. That's not true. Yes. Winning, stealing, or getting, inheriting money. You're right, does not bring happiness. Stealing money, inheriting it, or winning it does not bring happiness. Making money really does. Yeah. And this is one of the... You're made to serve. It, well, it's evidence that you served. And one of the, uh, the, the points we make in the interface between family and finance is the idea that a financial transaction has certain similarities to a male-female relationship to a marriage. And um, both of them, and I'll, I'll just get a little bit biblical over here, if you'll allow me, reverting to, to that volume to your left. When, when God said in the second chapter of Genesis, not good for man to be alone, uh, and we explain this at greater length, but just for now, his God's response is, not only do I think it's not good for man to be alone, but I'm going to give you not one, but two incentives not to be alone. One of them is sex, and one of them is money. And I'm a good and loving God, so why should you be surprised that both bring joy? Absolutely. When a man and woman connect, it brings joy, and when a person makes money. It brings joy. Probe deeply enough, and it has to do with the fact that deep down you know you're serving another one of God's children. But just leave that aside. Uh, making money is fun. That's all there is to it. Yeah, and, and that's one of the secrets of this longitudinal study we referenced earlier. Why is it that the, the Hebrew culture seems to be able to rise from the ashes so many times in history? What is because they look at someone who's achieved financial success without stealing it from people or sneaking it out of their pocket when they're not looking without, you know, any of those other nefarious ways that you can accumulate funds, but they've actually served well. They look at that as a positive. They say, wow, okay, what can we learn from that person? Those people are held in positions of esteem as, okay, we need to learn some, some wise practice, not, well, what are you going to do to get back? Assuming that they stole their way to the top and we never want to be like that person. And they're yeah. the one who makes any money has to apologize for it. And yeah. No, it takes a lot of work. And, and here, here's a good tie-in. I think you guys will appreciate this. You may have heard me tell this story before, Rabbi Lappin, but I don't think you have, Susan, that I'm approached frequently because we've built a team of 60 coaches who 
help the students, the listeners of this podcast, build beautiful businesses online using specifically e-commerce strategies, Amazon, that sort of thing. And in many cases, I've never sat down face-to-face and met these coaches. As a matter of fact, in many cases, I've only had one short phone call with them, and that's it. But I learned a lesson from you, my friend, Rabbi Lappin, many years ago that said, if the only thing I know about somebody, and this is me putting my own words to it, you said something along these lines, I've kind of put my own phraseology to it, but if the only thing I know about somebody, I don't know their race, their age, their sex, their their gender, their background, their history, their family life, I don't know any of that. All I know is they've run a profitable business with happy customers over an extended period of time. That's all I know. I know nothing else. That person is one of the safest bets you can make as far as integrating them into your life, bringing them into your circle of influence. And I put on top of that, okay, they came through our content and curriculum to get to that point. So I know that our message resonates with them. That's all I know. They're ready to be on the team. Come on in. I don't need to know anything else about you, really. That's right. If they've been successful tennis players for 10 years, tells you nothing about what sort of people they are. If they've been uh, musicians for a period, tells you. If they've been a university professor on the faculty of an Ivy League unit, tells you nothing. Well, it tells me a few things about probably not interested, actually, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, somebody who has run a business successfully and profitably for a period of time, you know, you know that he he knows how to care for other people. You know that he's, he understands numbers and he understands the real world. Yeah, this it's a huge difference. The concept of delayed gratification, the concept yes. of doing well, the concept yes. of risk, the concept of integrating faith, family, fitness, friendship into your life, because you got You have to do that to sustain yes. a successful business. So I, that, beautiful. So thank you. You've helped me build this, this community based on these principles. So hopefully those who have listened, you know, we've got some new listeners. Maybe this is the first episode they've heard. I would encourage, go back and listen to 10, 20, 30 other episodes. You're going to hear the stories of the members of our community reflecting these truths and it's not a matter of whether you agree with us or not or not. It's it's not it's not us that you're agreeing with or disagreeing with. It's a three thousand year longitudinal study, guys, that lays this out. This isn't stuff that Rabbi Lappin and Susan or I came up with, and we all kind of got together and brainstormed some concepts. No, this is stuff that has built civilizations. It's built cultures. I mean, these are the concepts that people use. One of my favorite examples, I think it was from the, uh, it's either the business secrets from the Bible or thou shall prosper, one of the two. But you talk about the survivors from the, the Holocaust, you know, these young teens who lost everyone they know, all their friends, all their family, had nothing. We would expect fully and understand entirely if they were curled up in a ball the rest of their life in a corner, afraid of everyone and yes. substance abuse issues. And we'd probably help subsidize that and say, you poor thing. And rightfully so, we would all feel terrible for them. But how was it that they became some of the greatest business leaders of our time? How did you rise? What concepts, what had to be in their spirit? Well, it's these ideas. Yes. They were not given grief counselors. They were not giving trauma therapy. They were not provided with cotton wool habitation where everybody was careful not to mention anything that might trigger them. None of that. All they had were the principles in this book. Exactly right. And so we're forced to challenge. You know, one of the things I like to say is we're forced, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're forced to confront the fact that there are people out there who have far fewer resources, far less talent, far less education, far less time, far more health challenges than you do, 
far scarier, horrible stories that they've overcome. And they're doing incredible things with their life that should inspire you. So yes. are you going to avoid those people? Or are you going to say, okay, what's going on there? And what can I learn from that person? Let's figure it out. And in all cases that I've come across, those kinds of people would just kind of rise from the ashes. There's something in their spirit. So for those listeners today, you know, that would say, I'm with you on the family, friendship, fitness, financing, but that whole faith thing, I can kind of take it or leave it. I, I like the way you guys talk about it because we started this episode today by saying, you don't have to agree with us. You know, I, I feel very strongly about my faith and I could talk for hours about it, but there's a spiritual nature to man that is separate from what you happen to believe in your faith system. Maybe you could talk to the, you know, money is spiritual, for example. I don't care what your belief system is. I can convince you money is spiritual in about 30 seconds if you've never been convinced before. And that's one of the things I've learned from you. Let's talk about spiritual versus what my particular faith system happens to be. Does that question well, make sense? When, when we speak of faith in that book, and when we speak of you know family, fitness, finances, friendships, and faith, we primarily are speaking about the, the non-material parts of life. Uh, the reason that makes somebody not wear a, uh, a very, very good $19 set of overalls. I, I love my overalls. I got two pair of them and it's got a big brass zip that runs from my left knee up to my right shoulder. And I step into it and I zip and I put my sleeves through it and I zip me up. I am dressed thoroughly decently in about eight seconds. It is the most utilitarian, useful, obvious piece of clothing there is. And I mainly use it for working on the engine of the boat. But um, it makes sense all the time. The only reason that I, I wear a, a suit uh, or, and a tie and uh, a shirt and, um, and shoes made of, of leather by uh, Alan Edmonds, the only reason I do these things is for spiritual reasons. These are non-material non-utilitarian. When we sit down at a table and there's a tablecloth and uh, we have a conversation and we eat with a knife and fork, all spiritual because our bodily needs could be easily captured by a few minutes of gobbling at the door of the refrigerator. And, um, and, and so it is in, in, all, in almost every area in male-female relationships. I mean, everybody recognizes that the sexual relationship is is more than a spasm in the spinal column, that there's something very different when there's a profound relationship. Who doesn't know that? And so, uh, so much of life is spiritual. Uh, so much of the way people decide to make, make purchases is spiritual, that to embark on a business career, hoping to succeed financially, but doggedly rejecting any understanding of the non-material is a terrible handicap. I think we, we you know, spiritual starts with an S, F, faith starts with an F. So we use the word faith, but we spend the first half of the chapter explaining we're not talking about synagogue or church or, or the mosque. We're talking about things that cannot be measured. Right. In a laboratory, you can't the weigh them. And, you know, I, I was reminded there was a, I used to love going to a certain supermarket where we used to live. Because I loved watching, there was one checker whose line was 
always longer. You, you might have two people in one line and she would have seven people in her line and I would wait to go to her line and so would obviously a lot of other people. That was from a utilitarian way. If, some, if a reporter was looking, they would say, this makes no sense whatsoever. She's not giving me better prices. She's not, you know, I'm going to take longer. It's taking more out of my day. It was fun to go in her line because you you had this feeling like you had a friend waiting there. She she remembered your what you used to buy, what you bought last week. She would she noticed what you were wearing and complimented. That is spiritual. It has nothing to do with religion, but it is spiritual. People went on her line for spiritual reasons. Absolutely. So we don't scare away anyone today who's like, well, this is a book about faith and uh, that means I got to start going to church. Well, hey, I'd love to have you come to my church sometime, but that's not what we mean when we say faith. And I, I'm glad we had a chance to. The late Zig Ziglar used to say, and listen, I know a lot of you think that uh, church is full of hypocrites, but don't worry, come on down. There's always room for one more. One more, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, we, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you guys have a big trip. You're actually getting ready to go to Israel. I'm a little bit I want to go with you guys so badly sometimes. So have a great trip. But I do want to tell one more story that kind of illustrates sure, sure. lessons from this book, very pertinent to the listeners to this podcast that helps illustrate how these things all come together. And and uh, it's been a multi-year journey for these things to get clear. I, I'm actually working on a book about all the things I had to unlearn from my traditional education, public school, <laughs> as you call them, the GICs, the government indoctrination camps, right? I'm sorry, but it's true. In business. Yeah. And so it took me some time to get here. But if I, if I can reach some of the younger folks or maybe some of the people who've never been exposed to these ideas before and start them on this journey, this story might help illustrate. So I was invited out to Amazon headquarters a few years ago to meet with a senior vice president who this guy reports to Bezos at the time. There was only 15 of them or so. And it's because of the size of the listening audience of this podcast and the communities that we've built. There's many sellers in our community, many of them having significant success. It was quite an honor to get to meet him. And I was nervous. But one of the things he did, to his credit, I, it was a fascinating conversation. And one of the questions he asked me was, if you could make one change at Amazon and you're in charge for a week, what would you do? And instantly... I was nervous for about three seconds. I'm like, I really want to do something profound here. I want to say something significant. I mean, this guy's this guy is the the rudder of the ship of this operation around here. He's in charge of North American operations. And uh, I just said a quick little prayer internally. I, I dug into some some ancient Jewish wisdom from my friend Rabbi Daniel Lappin and knew instantly what I would say and shared it with him. And he loved my answer. And my answer was this. I said, in the Hebrew tradition, which is arguably one of the most successfully financial cultures the planet's ever seen, this set of rules that they operate under, they're unprecedented financial success. I've learned so much from studying that culture. One of the things they say is a transaction is the beginning of a lifelong mutually beneficial relationship. Everybody wins. It's a beautiful thing. And it's supposed to sustain. That relationship sparks with a transaction and then grows into something beautiful on the other side of it. Everybody wins at each stage. I said, but what Amazon's doing right now is you've built a brick wall between buyers and sellers. I'm a seller and I sell my goods on your platform and random buyers who I'll never meet come to that platform and buy the goods there. But wouldn't it be nice for Amazon and for the customer and for me, wouldn't we all be happier if those relationships were solidified, if we got to know each other? So the example I like to give is what we've had a model train seller who's the model train geek of the universe on his own website somewhere, selling his model train stuff on Amazon 
to strangers? No, let's let them interact and meet. That guy would probably be willing to pay Amazon a lot of money or the privilege of getting to know his customers, building his list, building his authority in that niche. Amazon doesn't want to be the world's foremost authority on model train collecting. They want to have a platform where people can buy anything. So let this guy be an authority on your, on your site. And here we are a couple of years after that conversation. And I don't know if I was the only voice saying these kinds of things, but they're starting to make moves in that direction, allowing people to connect with that connection point being a transaction. So maybe that's a good place for us to, I'm not sure what what might have brainstormed and, and the two of you, what thoughts you guys might have sharing that story. But I'd like to think that we insert a little Jewish wisdom into ancient biblical wisdom into the Amazon organization at that point. And I think it's starting to possibly pay, pay off uh, some dividends. Oh, let's see. Very interesting. Susan? I didn't know that. I, I, you know, I had known the story, but I didn't know that you were beginning to see that it was actually playing out. That's very exciting. It is. It's beginning to. They're allowing influencers to put content on the platform. They're allowing us to, to contact, you know, if you have a brand, you can contact your past customers and allowing those relationships to begin fostering. Uh, and they're even for the first time ever inviting sellers out to headquarters in mass to come meet and, you know, relationships again. Uh, I think that was their greatest weakness. So that's the answer I gave at least at the time. That's a wonderful answer. Yeah. I've had time to think about it and I don't know if I could come up with a better one. <laughs> but yeah, is there that, anything else you guys yeah. want to wrap up with? And, and again, let me just express that uh, your the, the concepts that you guys have so eloquently captured and shared, and you say all the time, these aren't our ideas. We're just packaging them for, for yeah. a list, new listening audience. But they've truly impacted and influenced a great number of people, myself included, thousands of listeners in our community. So many people are going to be at the event eager to, I want them to all to be, if you're coming to our May event, here's your homework, May 2024, The Proven Conference, get a copy of this book, read it, take notes like I've done, fill it up, fold corners, and maybe bring a nice clean copy as well, get two copies and get the, the, an autograph from Rabbi Lappin and Susan at the event in May. It'll be here before we know it. But are there any events, or excuse me, any uh, final thoughts that you guys would like to well, just as an aside, you know, you we have been talking with you for for a number of weeks already about a potential collaboration, and uh, it would be a lot of fun if we could announce that before the um, the the May event. Uh, uh, so, that you would bring it up uh, publicly, and we've spent a lot of time talking about doing some work together. I'm yes, well, we, we very we very much want to, and our our tardiness is not a reflection of our enthusiasm on the contrary. It's just that uh, getting ready for this book uh, has just utterly consumed us for, for the last few weeks. But uh, I know you worked on it for years as well. This, this book took this book took a long five years ago. I was talking to you about this. Book. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to confess that is true. <laughs> I mean, I've got to imagine there's a series of emails from the publisher Wiley, like, uh, we're still doing this, right? Like, what was that six years ago? You guys probably started this thing. <laughs> Look, it's uh, it's it, it was not simple to bring these. Let, let me put it this way to consolidate. This material in ancient Jewish wisdom takes 2,600 pages. I mean, that's the reality. And when, uh, when, when I do a Zoom at home, I'm sometimes sitting in front of a bookshelf that has some of those volumes behind me. And here we, had a, we knew our job was to consolidate it into a readable, concise book that contained very specific 
strategic steps that anybody could adopt. And that that was hard work, harder than I anticipated. And without Susan, I don't know if it would have happened. I really, this is really one case where family uh, really played the role. It, it, it took two of us to um, just talk, we, you know, we lived this thing constantly, thinking of new ways and, and finding ways to, to make a point persuasively or to show a relationship that otherwise would not be clear to people. And I think that we have largely succeeded in, in not only laying out the schematic for you, but also showing you in a compelling way why it does work. Because it's not enough to give people a roadmap to a desirable destination. You've also got to make sure they've got enough fuel in the car. Mm. And you've got to make sure they've got enough energy and motivation to get in the car every morning. And so we wanted to make sure that this book wasn't just a roadmap, but it also contained the fuel and that it also provided the motivation and the drive, most of which comes from a self-evident aha moment. Oh, I get it. That's why this works. And then you motivated to make the leap to the next step. Well, I, I certainly found myself very motivated and excited and just a renewed vigor to dive into some of the content. And I've consumed a lot of it, but there's still a lot I haven't. You guys have been doing this a long time. And I'll probably, I probably mentioned it in the introduction, some of the, the facts about just how long you guys have been. You know, you will basically, we read that from page 14 early in the book, you know, you guys have spent your married life in pursuit of. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. true. And yes, how everything ties into everything else is is really the the key and that all attempts to try and achieve fragmented elements uh, do not work as well you fall short right well susan any parting thoughts for the listeners today really looking forward hopefully you'll be there with us in may and we we've got at least rabbi daniel lappin on the on the book i for us. i hope so you know i was, i know that there were places that we were writing and we said people someone's going to pick this book up and throw it against the wall because this is so countercultural. It is. <laughs> um, what I really, uh, my hope is that people can read with an open mind because you know and I know sometimes you read something and you want to say, that's ridiculous, but it sticks in your mind and you actually start thinking about it. And, and that's how you grow. You start saying, well, well, maybe it isn't so ridiculous. Maybe I, maybe there's something, even if there's a germ there that I need to, to pursue. So some of it, I think, will be people will say, aha, that, uh, that makes sense. And other things I hope they say, oh, that's terrible. But keep on thinking about it because we all have to grow. That's being human. You're alive, you're growing. And at the point you stop growing, you're not alive anymore. And if you want to grow a business or any part of your life, you need to be able to be willing to, to learn. And I hope this book really does give people some new ideas. Jim, can I respond to Susan? Please do. <laughs> well, first of all, if they do throw it against the wall, I hope it means they have to go and buy a new copy. Right, of course. And, <laughs> and, uh, and secondly, can you, I mean, we're among friends here, so could you actually come up with maybe an example of what you think might be the most egregious instance of a counter, something that we, we, we wrote and said to ourselves, people aren't going to take this sitting down. Oh, this isn't going to be opening a can of worms at the end of the show. But my friend, yeah, instantly it comes to mind because I can't wait to talk about this with my daughter-in-laws and my, and my kids next time Please. around the dinner table. Here's one. There's no such thing, or it's, it's so rare that it's barely worth mentioning of an example of 
platonic relationships between men and women. Oh my goodness. I've had this conversation with friends in college and let me just set it up a little bit. Then I'll turn you guys loose and happy. To, I've got plenty of time. You guys ones have to be on an airplane in a few hours. I got nothing but time. You asked for the can of worms. Here we go. So, you know, among guys, I would have this conversation and they'd all kind of like, yeah, you're right, dude. I mean, I, come on. Like if I'm spending that much time with a girl, it's because I'm looking to advance. I don't want to be stuck in the friend zone forever. That's what guys say when it's just guys. You introduce a few females into the conversation. It gets interesting very quickly because they're like, no, I've got all kinds of guys that, that I just, you know, we're just friends or, you know, that nothing else will ever, could ever be possible that. Basically the plot of every mo- every Hallmark movie. Oh, we exactly. could, we're just friends. We could never be any more than that wedding at the end, right? And it's those two. <laughs> That's it's a pretty good plot of most yes. movies, right? Like, oh, I can't stand that guy. And then the friends, yeah, it's just friends. And then it's like, I don't want to be in the friend zone forever. So he asks her out and it's romantic and he chases her through the airport and a wedding, right? Guys, no, that's how it works. If I can get into the friend zone and then somehow get out of it, we're not chasing around friendships Typically, the guys I hung out with, myself included, I wasn't working for friendships with girls I had no interest in any future with. I wanted to be friends with girls that I wanted to possibly have a future with. That's how my brain worked. And I didn't know any guys that didn't have a brain like that. Exactly. And, there you and go. that is not the message that women get. And it's, and it's hard to believe as a woman. And so I really hope it is, but it's valuable. And we're not saying that, you know, men should live in Kansas and women should live in Nebraska and they should have nothing to do with each other. We're not saying you can't work together, but we're saying being aware of the reality of male-female relationships is very important because it keeps you it keeps you safe. And when you're under an illusion that isn't true, under a false illusion, you can end up getting really badly hurt and badly hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and we'd like to female. save people that pain. As a married guy, we've got couples that are friends of ours and we'll hang out as couples. And I would consider them great, dear friends, sisters, you know, as a Christian, sisters in the Lord, right? Like, of course. But am I going to go spend three hours just her and me at a movie sometime or, you know, to go out to eat sometime just to her? You know, my wife stays home and I go hang with my friend. Absolutely. Are you crazy? I mean, just the, the, uh, the appearance of something like that and the rumors that would have to be, who needs that in their life, right? I think we tell the story. Spending too much time one-on-one with the members of the opposite sex is this platonic friendships, right? So that's a contra. You ask for controversy. There you go. That definitely is one of the more controversial parts we wrote. You're going to get some pushback on that. Maybe you're from my daughter-in-law's. I don't know. I haven't thrown it out there yet, but I know where my sons stand on it. Uh, (laughs) Well, that's fun. Well, did you have something else that you wanted to throw out there that that, that came that may have come to mind as one? You said well, that was- the male female relationships and how to handle those in in business and in marriage um, is probably is where the biggest controversy is because well, I think one of the myths we say is that there seems to be in a lot of women and then this myth that men can have it all. Why can't we? And we say very clearly, no, men cannot have it all and women can have, have it all. The closest you can come by having it all is if you team up and get married. But it's not, it's a total myth, the idea that men can have it all and that that's, um, that's what women should strive to be like men because they have it all. Because men don't and you can't. No. God designed us for relationship and connection. It's some of the most miserable people I know are are lonely men that have seemingly it all, whatever that is. Right. They're lonely and miserable and and uh, disappointed with their choices and and see life kind of passing them by. 
Uh, it's hard for me to relate to guys, you know, that are approximately my age, never got married, never had kids, and they've got the car they want in a decent place, but no connections, no strong family or friendship relationship. That's not all. That's kind of a bad place to be. And even in, in the workplace today, there's, uh, we find in, you know, whether it's uh, what, any kind of workplace, there's been such an attempt um, to uh, propagandize the idea of a de-sexed work environment. You know, over here, we don't care whether you're male or female. You know, over here, we don't care what you look like. Tell me, when was the last time you saw, you'll pardon me, an obese, ugly female representative for pharmaceutical products? You know, when, when, did, it, when did ever the door open to a doctor's office to bring in a pharmaceutical rep that was a bald, fat guy, right? That's not who they hire. It's like the time that you talk about trying to become a, a swimsuit model, right? By laughing. <laughs> oh, that that famous case of anti-Semitism. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So at least what we try and do in the book, and I think succeed, is um, it, it, at least, again, we try to provide an antidote to a dishonest and destructive popular culture message that in some way or another has impacted you. And if you have in front of you this roadmap to reality, this book, The Holistic You, you stand at least some chance of an antennae going up and alerting you to the fact that what you are being fed right now is unadulterated bilge water. And at least that way you can smile politely if it's coming from a superior, but at least you can make the necessary adjustments inside your own life so because you know how the world really works. Well, we got to stop it right there. I can't talk. Yeah, that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> what an outstanding time spent with two dear friends. Thank you so much for being Thank here. Thank you so much. This has been fun. Thank you, Jim. I hope we'll be... If you will allow, we, we hope to talk and follow up very soon, even while we're in Israel, if that's okay with you. Oh, if you and just uh, move move our other pictures? move our other collaboration forward. I'm I'm likely to frame whatever you send me from your picture. Give me a picture in some front of some you know landmark. Uh, I I would treasure that, and I can't wait to work with you guys further and and integrate you ideas more into the community in the coming weeks and months. Uh, Fantastic. Well, it's been lovely seeing you. Please give our fondest to the family and to the whole community. And uh, to all our listeners, thank you for being with us and uh, and participating today. And uh, we hope there'll be many more such opportunities. Absolutely. Lord bless your travels and keep you safe. And uh, we'll, we'll talk you. to you again very soon, my friends. Bye for now. Then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Silent Sales Machine Radio. Visit SilentJim.com for a link to our free newsletter, our free Facebook group, and all of our resources mentioned on today's show.